We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. And God, we are grateful that uh, we can come to you daily with our needs and that God, that you know all things and that you care for us. Uh, God, we lift up those who are hurting, uh, those who are sick, those who are unsure of what the future holds. God, we lift them up to you tonight in faith that you know all things, that you are good, you are sovereign, and you are powerful and mighty to save. God, we pray for the missionaries that are serving all over the world, uh, seeking to honor you with their lives and their words as they proclaim this gospel. And God, we ask, uh, as we think about the Lottie Christmas offering and the IMB and all our missionaries everywhere that they are, God, we ask that you would bless them. God, we ask that you would give them wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would provide for them. And God, that you would cause us uh, to continually think and pray for them and think how we might give towards the work that you're doing uh, through your missionaries all over the world. God, we pray that you'd give us understanding of what it means to live a life of faith this evening as we study Philippians together. We pray that you might give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are receptive and responsive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, have you ever wondered why God puts some passages in the Bible? You know, you think about Exodus and a good majority of it is how to construct the camp and the tabernacle. And then you think about Leviticus, and you can't remember the last time that you've read Leviticus, but you know there's some weird stuff in there. And then you think about Numbers and how there's a lot of numbers in the book of Numbers, and you can't remember when you read that one either. Um, and then you come to passages even in the New Testament where there's genealogies. And then the one that we come to tonight is a travel itinerary. And so... Um, I originally wasn't going to be preaching this week, and then I looked at the passage this week when I realized I would be preaching, and I saw that it was a travel itinerary, and I thought to myself, what do I do with that? <laughs> and, and I think that's how we come to the Bible sometimes. We come to these passages, and we, we come to travel itineraries, we come to genealogies, we come to the book of Numbers or Leviticus, and we're not sure what to do with them. We're not sure why God placed them there. Well, I think there's a very specific and important reason for us that God has placed all of those things in our Bible, and especially as we look at Paul's travel plans this evening, why Paul details these things for us. I think he gives us examples of faith when he writes about such things. And so when we think about faith, you know, sometimes we think about, um, you know, blind faith, right? So maybe you've had the experience where you have done a trust fall. So a trust fall is where, you know, you close your eyes and you've got a, gr a group of people that really you probably don't trust in that moment, but it's part of what you're doing, and so you're going to fall. And the whole time you're thinking, they're going to think it's funny because they're one of my friends to just let me fall, but you're supposed to trust them just blindly. You're supposed to close your eyes and just fall back. 
And I saw this really funny video the other day where this guy was supposed to do a trust fall, and instead of falling backwards into the people's arms, he actually fell forwards away from them. And, <laughs> and you know what happens when there's no one there to catch you, um, and you fall face forward. But So sometimes we kind of think about faith like a trust fall. We think about it, it's just blind. It's just we close our eyes, and then we're supposed to just take a step forward not knowing anything. Well, I think the biblical picture of faith is actually a little bit different than that. So there's certainly things that we don't know about life. There's things that we don't know about the future. There's things that we can't know about the future and have to trust God with. But I think the biblical picture of faith, rather than it being like a blindfold that inhibits your sight, instead it's more like glasses that actually enable you to see. And so whenever we think about faith and scripture, it's this experience, it's this life-changing thing in our hearts and lives that enables us to see ourselves for who we are, to see God for who he is, and to see the way in which he works in our lives and our world. And when we look at Philippians, we see this God through the lens of faith, through Paul's faith. And he's going to give us a couple more examples other than his own faith in Timothy and Epaphroditus tonight. As we look at this travel itinerary, what we're going to see is a faith-filled life. We're going to look at faith-filled lives this evening and what it means to live a life of faith. And so read with me in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30 this evening. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that you too may be cheered, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so we come to this passage in the book of Philippians, and at a first glance, maybe we don't know what to do with it, but I think there's three things that we can see in Paul's travel plans here as he writes to the church at Philippi, and he writes about these two examples of faith in Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's three things that we're going to look at tonight, faith-filled plans, faith-filled concerns, and faith-filled testimonies. And so the first one, faith-filled plans, we see in verse 19 and verses 23 and 24. We see in verse 19 where Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. And so Paul begins to think about how, the way Paul thinks about life is, and about his plans in life is that he is thinking about God's will when he plans things. 
And so he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And then in verses 23 and 24, we read, I hope, therefore, to send him, talking about Timothy, just as soon as I will see how it will go with me. Because Paul is uncertain about his future. He's in prison, and he is wondering about his fate, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so he says, I hope this is going to happen. And then he says, I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. And so Paul, when he makes plans, he hopes for a certain result. He hopes the future is going to lay out a certain way. And he plans according to what he thinks God's will is for his life. And then he trusts the Lord with the results. And so I wonder if you and I, if we think about life that way. I wonder if we think about life in terms of the plans that we make, in terms of hoping in what we think God's will is for us, and then trusting God with what's actually going to happen. So theologians tend to talk about God's will in, in two ways. They think about God's declared will and God's ordained will. And so his declared will is what we find in Scripture where God lays out for us how we're supposed to live life in light of who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are. And then his ordained will is what God, the sovereign Lord of the entire universe, has ordained to actually play out in terms of sequential events in time. Right? And so we have ways in which we live according to his declared will, where we obey him as fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, as children, as we looked at in the book of Ephesians, where we looked at those different roles in our lives and how to live out those roles in light of our faith. We look at God's declared will, and in terms of obedience, we seek to obey that and the plans that we make. And then we think about God's ordained will where that's what actually occurs. That's what actually happens and none of it ever surprises God. Right? And so you and I, we make plans for the future and then we trust the Lord with what's actually going to happen. And so... If you think about when you're making travel plans, you, you, know, you buy a ticket to go to a certain destination, and you, you have certain beliefs about your trip. So you believe that the plane or the car that's actually going to get you there is going to work and actually function correctly and get you to your destination. And then you believe that once you get to your destination, you're going to be doing the things that you had planned on doing, Right? And so even when we make, we make travel plans, we believe certain things and we hope certain things, right? And so when Paul is making his own travel plans, he is hoping for certain results. He's hoping certain things happen. He's able to do certain things in the future. And yet, instead of just kind of hoping and being uncertain, he trusts the Lord with the results. And so when we think about our own lives, when we think about, uh, you know, This passage, the application isn't for us, okay, think about your travel plans and your next vacation and how to, you know, uh, vacation by faith. But instead, what the application for us is, is how we think about life in general, how we think about all the plans that we make in life. So we think about the education that we pursue and the jobs and careers that we pursue and the things that we want in life, whether we want to pursue marriage or having a family and kids or, you know, all these different things that we could want in life. We hope to go to the school that we want to go to. We hope to get the job after we've graduated that we want to get in the, in the field that we want to be working in. And we hope to get the promotion we've been working hard for. And then instead of just hoping these things happen, we also trust God with the results. So sometimes life doesn't happen the way we had hoped, right? Sometimes we don't get into the school that we wanted to get into. 
Sometimes we don't get the promotion that we'd worked hard for. Sometimes we wait and wait and wait for God to send that special person into our lives that we, Lord willing, will marry someday, and we just don't know who they are or when they're coming. Sometimes we make plans, and we hope that things are going to work out a certain way, and they don't. And the question in those moments is, do we have the kind of faith that Paul shows us here? Where he says that, I, I hope I'm going to get to come to you soon. I hope that I'm going to get out of prison and visit you all soon, along with Timothy. But I don't know what's going to happen, and so I trust the Lord with the results. I trust the Lord with my life. And so Paul makes plans by faith. And then we also see that just as by faith we make plans in life, and as Proverbs says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord actually establishes his steps, just as we make plans by faith, also we see that our concerns in life are driven by our faith. And so in verses 20 through 22, we read this. For I have no one like him, talking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And then in verse 25, we read about Epaphroditus. Here's what Paul says. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. And so Paul lays out these two examples of faith-filled lives for us in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy uh, was Paul's son in the faith. And so if you think about someone in your life that you have had a, a heavy influence on in their discipleship, this was the relationship that Paul and Timothy had where they uh, were very close. They worked alongside one another in ministry. And, and as we see there, Paul talks about how Timothy had proven worth. So he had served alongside Paul for a long period of time. And Paul had discipled him and trained him up for ministry and then sends him out. And so Timothy and Paul had this relationship where they were able to encourage one another in their faith. And, and what Paul sees in Timothy is this genuine concern for others. And so what we read in Scripture oftentimes is that this idea that when we love God, we love others. And when we serve God, we serve others, right? And so this is how Jesus puts it in Mark chapter 12. When he's asked what, which commandment is the most important of all, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so what we see Jesus saying here is that these two commandments are tied together. He answers this question, which is the most important commandment, by saying, love God, but then he follows it up with a second. And so the, the question he was asked is, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love God. But then he follows it up with an explanation that this love of God is going to flow out into love of other people. And so that's the kind of love that we see in Timothy. So when Paul says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Look at what he says in verse 21 then. He says, For they all seek their own interests, talking about other people, people other than Timothy, not those of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying about Timothy is that Timothy has faith in Jesus Christ, and this faith he has in the Lord Jesus then 
then spurs him on to love others around him. And so your faith will result in action. Your faith will result in a concern for others around you. And so we think about our faith oftentimes uh, in a way that's much too centered on us. We think about coming to church, and, and whenever we get to church, if we hear you know, a song that we just really don't like, you know, it doesn't, we don't identify with it, and we're just not sure that you know, that was the best song choice, and you know, come on, Pastor Cameron, like, you know, next week, let's have this song. Um, and, and in those moments, what we're thinking about is not Jesus at all. We're thinking about ourselves, right? And we, we do this in all sorts of areas of our lives where we just continually make it about us. And, and we do this in areas of life where it's, it's really not made to be about us. We do this in marriage and at our workplace and all these areas of life where we are meant to love and serve other people and be concerned with the welfare of others. We tend to make them about us. And what Paul says about Timothy, this example of faith that we see in Timothy, is that he has genuine concern for others' welfare. And so Paul is pointing us to Timothy and Epaphroditus and and the Philippians, and he's saying, hey, these guys are examples of what biblical faith should look like because it drives them to be concerned about other people. And we see that phrase, proven worth, when Paul talks about Timothy, how he talks about his relationship with him. And so we also see that this biblical faith, in addition to driving us to be concerned about other people, involves the test of time. It involves discipleship and training and growth, right? And so Timothy was discipled by Paul. Timothy didn't just believe in Jesus and then go pastor a church, right? He wasn't just sent out in the ministry the second that he placed his faith in Christ, right? He was discipled. He was trained. He, he grew in his faith, and he served alongside someone in ministry, and so one of the things that we do as a church is when we're looking at guys who, who are called to ministry or feel a call to ministry, we try to invest in them, right? Our, just as a whole community of faith, not just me and Cameron or, or others who are in some kind of leadership role. As a community of faith, we try to invest in them, invest in their discipleship and growth so that whenever the Lord calls them to serve a local church or on the mission field or whatever it may be, that their faith is proven, right? That it's tested, and, and it's tested alongside other believers who can say, hey, listen, I think here's an area where I see some concern, and, and we need to, to steer the ship back to the Lord right here. And, and we say, hey, the Lord is really working powerfully in your life in this way, and, and we want to encourage you in that. And so Timothy has this relationship with Paul where Paul was his mentor and Paul discipled him and trained him for ministry. And the reason he has such confidence in Timothy's faith and his concern for others is because of that relationship. And so when we think about our own faith, we want to enter into those opportunities. We want to join community groups and build relationships with other believers in our lives so that we can learn from one another. You see, this, this faith thing was not meant to be done alone. Our faith was meant to be done in relationship. We are meant to live the Christian life with other believers around us. You know, you've heard you can't love Jesus without loving his bride, right? You can't love Jesus without loving the church. It doesn't mean that a church won't ever hurt you or make a mistake or or anything like that. It just means that the Christian life was designed to be lived in community so that there would be growth and discipleship. 
And so we see this example of Timothy being concerned for others, and, and we wonder, how, how did Timothy get this way? So Paul lays out some examples for us in Timothy and Epaphroditus of, of men who live their lives by faith. But how did they get there? Well, the way that we can develop this kind of faith that drives us out and makes us concerned about others is by looking at Jesus. So earlier in Philippians, what we read is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then here's what he says. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." And so what he says there is have this mind among yourselves, this mind that is set on humility and concern for others. And he says this mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. So he says when you understand what Christ has done for us in coming from his throne, coming down to save us and taking on human flesh and humbling himself out of love for us. When you really grasp that, when that sets in your heart in the very core of who you are. When you understand what God has done for you, you can't help but change the way that you respond to people around you. This mindset is, this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. So your faith in Christ, when you understand what Christ has done for you, drives you to be concerned about the people around you. And so this is how we develop this kind of mindset. How we develop this faith-filled life that we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus. In Epaphroditus, we see, we see uh, Jason Meyer c- compares him to uh, the, what we see in Jesus like this. He says, he has concern for others, a willingness to give his life, and meeting the needs of others. So Epaphroditus pursued the interests of others by traveling from Philippi to Rome, just as Jesus pursued the interests of others by traveling from heaven to earth for us. And Epaphroditus was willing to risk his own life, we see in verse 30, uh, just as Jesus gave his life up for us. And in terms of meeting the needs of others, Epaphroditus risked his life to minister to Paul's need, as we see in verse 25, and Jesus sacrificed himself to meet our greatest need. And so when we look at the example of Christ that we see in Philippians chapter 2 in those first few verses of the chapter, the result of actually understanding what Christ has done for us is the kind of faith that we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus and in Paul. It's this faith that drives us to be concerned with others. And this faith is informed by our new identity, right? And so we read in verse 25 about Epaphroditus. Paul calls him his brother, his fellow worker, fellow soldier, and a messenger of the Philippians, and a minister to Paul's need, right? So he uses these five terms, brother, worker, soldier, messenger, minister. And what these communicate to you and I is that Epaphroditus has this identity that shapes how he serves, that shapes how he loves. And so you think about the idea of brother, this intimate idea that you're part of a family. 
And you think about the idea of a worker working alongside someone else. And you think of a soldier who is fighting a battle and fighting in war alongside others. And what we see here is, is kind of what we see in, in the military, right? When you join the military, you, you, you know, military members and veterans will talk about how they had brothers, right? They served alongside other men that they became close with. And what they did is they became a family, right? When you're serving in battle together, you become a family, and you're serving and you're concerned with the needs of those around you, right? You can't be concerned with just yourself when you enter into battle because if, if everyone's concerned about themselves, then the team and the, and, and the battle is not going to go well. See, when military members enter into battle, they're soldiers who work alongside their brothers for a mission, And this is the kind of language we see about Christians in the New Testament. We're part of a family, and we're fighting a war together. There are powers of darkness, and there is sin in our hearts, and there is sin and brokenness in our world. And we, knowing the life and light that we talked about on Sunday that is in Jesus Christ, we go out, as our benediction said, having that light in us, that we might share that light with the world. And so we do so in light of our new identity in Christ. When we understand the gospel, it causes us to go out from this place. The gospel drives you out to love God and others instead of loving yourself. And so the questions we have to ask ourselves when we look at examples like this in the book of Philippians for us is, so is your faith like this? Is your faith more about you, or is it about God's will and the needs of others? Are you the person that gets upset when that song is played in church that you don't like? Or are you the person who, in the midst of the service, you're so concerned with your unbelieving friend or family member that is sitting in the pew next to you that you can't help but plead with God to save them as you sing, and you're praying throughout the service for their needs? Are you the person who constantly complains about your job and how things are just, they run poorly there and things don't go well and people are negative and and things go badly? Or are you the person that enters into a difficult work environment and suffers so that you might show your coworkers the love of Christ? See, this faith, when we understand what Jesus has done, this kind of faith fills our life in such a way that drives us out and makes us concerned about the people around us. And whenever we place our faith in Christ, instead of our, our own concerns and our own needs being primary anymore, we're more concerned about God's will for our life and the people he's placed around us. And Paul sees this in Timothy and in Epaphroditus. That's why he recommends Timothy to the churches so heartily. And then we see that just as we make plans by faith and just like faith drives us out to be concerned with other people around us, we also see that uh, faith is intimately involved with testimonies. Our testimonies fill others with faith. And so even Paul knows that he needs other believers in his life, right? Even Paul knows that he needs the church. Here's what we read in verse 19 and then in 26 through 30. In 19, Paul talks about he hopes in the Lord Jesus. 
So he's trusting in God for his future. And then he says, so that I too may be cheered of news of you. And so he's sending Timothy to the Philippians so that Paul can be encouraged in his own circumstances. He wants to hear about what God is doing there so he can be encouraged in his own faith. And in 26 through 30, we read this about Epaphroditus, this other example of faith. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And so what we see in Epaphroditus, again, is this concern for other people. Epaphroditus is sick even to the point of death, and what he's concerned about is his friends being anxious about him dying. So I don't know about you, but when you're in the hospital, you know, probably what you're most concerned about is, is what the doctors are saying is going to happen to you, right? I mean, I certainly would be. But what Paul is saying about Epaphroditus is when he's sick, when he's ill, all he can think about is God's will for the church and God's will for his friends and family members back in Philippi and and their concern for him. He knows they're anxious about him because they've heard news about his condition and he is anxious to know that they see what God is doing and that they know he's okay. See, because in the next section we read that God had mercy on Epaphroditus. He was near to death. He almost died. And God somehow healed him. It doesn't say whether he healed him through uh, medicine of the day or whether he supernaturally just touched him and brought healing to his body, whatever it may be. What we know is that God was ultimately the one responsible for his healing. And so Epaphroditus is anxious to know that his friends will not be anxious anymore. And so we see that Paul, just as Paul wants to be cheered by news of the Philippians, Epaphroditus also wants his Philippian brothers and sisters in Christ to know what God has done in his own life, that they might be encouraged. And then we read in in 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So even Paul is concerned about them knowing what God has done. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so, if you've ever had a loved one in the hospital, then you know what it means to get the encouraging word from the doctor. If you've been wondering about what's going to happen to them, when that doctor comes in with good news, you know how much that builds your faith how it encourages you to know that things are going to be okay. And so Paul, as he thinks about his friends in Philippi, wants to hear news of what God is doing among them, that as he's in prison and as he's struggling with the different trials in his own life and his own faith, he wants to be cheered by news of what God is doing among others. And so this is why testimonies are so important for us. This is why it's so important that whenever we pray for someone for so long as a a community of faith, like like Tina's husband, who had cancer, and then we hear the good news this last week, that the tests came back positive, and that he's freed from cancer. He is healed and, and doesn't have it anymore. That's why we celebrate that together, because it encourages us in our faith. That's why when, when Ken shares about what's happening in Kenya and he talks about Solomon who travels through the night to hear teaching from the Bible and to 
be a better pastor, a better minister, a better servant of Jesus Christ in a difficult environment where he ministers to people who are deceived by all kinds of false gospels and cults and things. This is why it's so encouraging to hear about that man's faith that we don't even know. See, we see this kind of faith in Paul where he has this just relentless trust in Jesus. He has plans for his future and hopes about what that entails, and yet he doesn't know if he's going to die any day. He doesn't know if he'll be put to death or not. And he trusts the Lord that the Lord knows better than he does. And then he wants to hear the good news of what Christ is doing elsewhere, because in the midst of his own trials, it encourages his faith. This is why we share testimonies. This is why when we ask for prayer requests, we also ask for updates. We also ask for what God has been doing. When, when Ken shared that story last Wednesday about Solomon, I just, I was amazed. It, it made me think about my own life and my own faith. Do I have the kind of love for Christ that would cause me to walk through the night so that I might be better equipped to serve him? This is what an understanding of what Christ has done for us does in us. When we see that the God who made the universe took on human flesh, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The incarnation. When we understand the way that God has humbled himself and been concerned about us, our faith in what Christ has done for us drives us out to be concerned for those around us. All of a sudden, when we think about our hopes and our plans for the future, even our jobs aren't about us anymore. Even our education isn't about us anymore. When we think about what we want to do for a career, instead of thinking about how much money it's going to make us, we think about how many opportunities it's going to give us to share Christ with someone or to encourage the church in a local community or whatever it might be. I mean, do we think about our lives this way? Do we make plans this way like Paul does and Timothy does and Epaphroditus do? Do we look at our lives and the things in our lives as opportunities to serve Jesus Christ? And that comes across as, as maybe a, a condemning thing because if, if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, oftentimes we don't, right? Oftentimes we think we see an example of a life of faith like Timothy's or Paul's and we think my life's not like that. Friends, what we need is God to continually be opening our eyes to what Jesus has done for us. Because when we understand what Christ has done, it brings this kind of faith and this kind of love in us. And so we don't think about these things and look at Paul's travel plans so that we can feel condemned about our vacation plans this year because they don't have anything to do with what Paul's are. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not feel guilty about going to Southern California or to Florida this winter. It's, it's when we look at our lives, are we looking 
for opportunities to serve the Lord Jesus because of what he's done for us and the way he's served us. And it's not feeling guilty about all the times in the past where we've failed to do that. It's looking at Jesus afresh again and seeing him clearly for who he is and what he's done and allowing that to spur us on out of this room and out of our selfish concern for our own needs that we might see clearly others around us and their need for Christ. And so we don't condemn ourselves. We look at Jesus again. We look at what he's done for us. And we trust in him. We make our plans by saying, I I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to do this. But I trust him if that doesn't happen. And we live lives of faith, concerned with what God is concerned about. Like Timothy, being concerned with the things that concern Jesus. And we trust him. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes those hopes that you have don't pan out. Sometimes we hope and pray for someone to be healed and we don't hear a good, encouraging word about what happened. Sometimes we we hope and pray that we might get this degree or this job, that we might do this for Christ. Maybe our motivations are good, but the Lord's ordained will is different. And in those moments when we had a good desire for something, to do something good that we thought would please the Lord, and then God doesn't give us the opportunity to do it, it can be kind of faith-rocking for us. But it's because we, we misunderstand the kind of mindset that Paul has here. Where he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to do this, but I trust the Lord for my future even if that doesn't happen. See, Paul knows he may be headed to die. And he makes plans anyways, knowing that the Lord is able to do things that he can't even imagine. But trusting that if that is his fate, that the Lord knows what is best and knows better than he does. And so I think about this verse in Exodus 14 where where Moses is talking to the people and they see their enemies coming towards them and they're afraid because they don't know what's going to happen. They've seen God's power and yet they still have questions and they still have this lingering fear and doubt. And here's what Moses says to them. He says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Friends, we serve the God who parted the seas and his people walked on dry ground. We serve the God who came and took on human flesh and died and yet three days later beat death itself. We serve a God that we can trust with our future and that cares for us in such a way and loves us in such a way that helps us live with a lack of concern for what's going to happen to us and a concern 
for what Christ is doing in the lives of those around us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we trust in you alone. God, we come to passages of scripture where we read about the faith of those who have gone before us. And we are encouraged in seeing it. And yet, even as we're encouraged, sometimes we struggle with our own fears and worries and anxieties about the future. And God, I pray that you would give us this kind of faith that we see in Paul and in Timothy and in Epaphroditus. God, give us faith to understand what you've done for us and how that changes everything. God, give us a love and a concern for others that is shaped by what you've done for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe and that you would give us faith. In Jesus' name.